Hi everyone, it's Gracie with Self Care with Gracie. Welcome back. We have another really exciting episode today. Uh, a, a very special person is has taken the time to be with us, and her name is Sister Morningstar. So, hi, Sister Morningstar. Good morning, Gracie. It's it's really a joy to have you here. I'm gonna give a little background as. Um, First to how I know you, and then to uh, read your bio, which is just beautiful, and will give a great introduction to the work that you do. But Sister Morningstar is the mother of one of my dear friends from college, um, Callista. And uh, ever since I was in college, I heard about the the work that Sister Morningstar does with women around home births and really midwifery and helping women to have these really natural birth experiences. And I remember listening in this really abstract way of like, that sounds cool, but like I never had a lot of clarity about wanting to become a mother and felt like, it just felt like the process was very separate from me. So life goes on, and as many of you who listen know that I'm about six months pregnant right now, and of course this has just been a huge life change, and I'm hired a midwife, and we're going to have a home birth that's going to be a very natural experience, and I'm just reading all these books and feeling so empowered about the possibility of what it is to look at childbirth through such an a, a empowered way as a woman. And Calista writes me saying, you know, you should really have your, my mom on your podcast because she is doing all this work. And, and it just felt like such a perfect confluence of knowledge that I, I want to get more into what I'm feeling and looking at how self-care relates to midwifery and natural childbirth and home births. And Sister Morningstar, I couldn't think of a better person to share that information with us. So I'm going to read your bio here because it's beautiful. It says, Sister Morningstar is a Cherokee midwife and keeper of stories. She's enjoyed a lifetime of preserving simple and sacred birth. She births her daughters at home and has helped thousands of other women find empowerment through instinctual birth. I have served on state, national, and international boards helping to oversee the development and preservation of midwifery certification programs. She is the founder of a spiritual retreat center and author of books related to instinctual and spiritual living. She lives as a Cherokee hermitess and Catholic mystic in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri. She is a woodland mystic, a historian, a keeper of stories, a storyteller, a preserver of the sacred feminine, a ritual, a ceremony, a sojourner of inner life of women, a wild woman, a mother, a midwife, a healer, a priestess of many names. So that just is like poetry right there. So thanks for being here with us and sharing your knowledge with us. And I'd, I'd like to start the conversation by asking, of like, how does one come to have a bio like this? Like, what is what has your journey been to find your way into so many beautiful paths of female empowerment? Uh, well, first of all, good morning. And this happens to be the day after Mother's Day. So my mind is rich and full of what I was doing on Mother's Day, just yesterday, on my holy land in the woods by the creek with the deer and reflecting on my own ancestors and my own contribution by them to who I am today. So I think it starts like way back that way, just like you're carrying, and congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. a, a, A new life form. And so you're affecting already, like, by how you think, of course how you eat. But we're in this world right now that is so in touch with the material side of things, the the concrete, physical nature of things that we forget, have forgotten, the mystery that lies behind uh, 
the, the outward uh, woman festation of life. So for me, my little journey, I'm sure, began with my ancestors, with my great-great-great-grandmothers who walked barefoot and um, put up their teepees and, and lived however they lived. And somehow all of that uh, unfolded such that my, it was actually my grandmother that raised me in my early years, and we gathered nuts and seeds and herbs. And, and, and the way of teaching of Native people is not the way of this uh, modern world. So no one takes a workshop and, or sits you down and says, this is the botanical name for this, and this is the properties for this, and uh, on and on. Life is just so lived and so full of uh, practicality and spirituality completely intermingled, inseparable. Um, and so that was my, my early beginning. I lived without running water and without plumbing and without, and, and I didn't know you, I, I didn't know I was living without something. I, I was only living with, with things, with the woods, with the deer, with the, with whatever we were doing. And, um, so one of my earliest memories that I really treasure was when we would go to the creek to get water for whatever, drinking water and wash water. There were two buckets, and one was for drinking water and one was for wash water. And I was little and, and trotting along. Um, but I remember the day so clearly when Granny gave me the wash bucket to get the water, I mean the uh, drinking bucket, because you had to be so much more careful to make sure that you didn't get any leaves or, or little, you know, surface spiders, or, and and you had to hold your hand just right to let the clear brook water seep through your fingers into the bucket ever so slowly and did not stir up the soil underneath and get dirt in the in the, and of course the wash bucket was less. Uh, there was less of a skill needed to get the wash bucket water. Um, but I remember the day that she trusted me with the uh, with that bucket, and there weren't any words like, oh, I trust you today. She just handed me that bucket, and I knew what it meant. I knew that that, that meant I, she thought I could do all those things that make a difference for getting that water, holy water, water to drink, uh, rather than the the water for washing. So all, gathering nuts in the autumn, she didn't say, well, we gather nuts in the autumn and not the spring. We just did. So all this knowledge that I didn't even know was critical, natural knowledge. Uh, uh, and that, I, of course, I'm not mentioning thousands of things, uh, was in my bones and my blood. And I grew this way, and then, of course, I had to go to the government schools. And, but it never occurred to me when I was studying American history that that was American history. That's not, that's not, that's not this land's history. That's, but you learn, and you give them back what they want to know. But it ne- So when I had my first baby and uh, went to the doctor, first first generation of my people to go to the doctor with a baby, but it was 1970s, and you do this, and he said, well, we'll, we'll see if you can have a baby. I mean, you're, I think you have about a 50-50 chance of having a, a, a vaginal birth. 
And it never occurred to me to think that he knew what he was talking about. Not, not, not. <laughs> I, it, I, the three thoughts that I had was, one, uh, you're a man, so you can't possibly know what I can do. It's not possible. Two, you don't know my mother and my grandmother. They were little, and they had babies, so clearly I can have a baby. Uh, and three, you don't even know me. You, you, don't, you don't know me at all. You, you have no idea what I'm capable of. And so I, I just dismissed it as, as, as uh, irrelevant comment, irrelevant information. So as I've moved along in my instinctual life and journey and had three amazing daughters, divine daughters, and now they've grown up, and of course I help women by the thousands and around the world, and it, it, it baffles me and it also uh, ignites me to realize that we've created an entire world, world culture of women who don't know what they know. Like they know things deep in their bones and their blood. They know that something doesn't feel comfortable or right. For example, if they, so they might not be comfortable with a girlfriend or who knows who looking at their yoni and, and doing something, but they'll go to a complete stranger of the opposite sex and let them, you know, get in there. I always say don't put things up and in when you want things down and out. You know, when you're having a baby, you want things to come down and out, and we're very animalistic and instinctual, and it's powerful. We need to be able to move and make noise, and yet our L&D nurses know very well that if room six gets too loud, you know, they're going to be chastised. Why aren't you keeping that? What's wrong with your lady in room six? She's loud. We're supposed to be loud. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be in the presence of raw, instinctual um, birth or, or living. So let's see, how, how do I get, how did I get, well, I had my baby in the hospital, that first one, and I had her in an hour and 53 minutes, uh, I think because I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I had her vaginally, but nobody could get to me in time to do this or that, and I remember them Screaming, assuming I was a first-time mother that it would take forever, and yelling at me, pick your butt up and put it on this delivery table because at that time you had to birth in an operating room uh, just in case with your arms tied down and your legs tied down. And all this was trying to happen so fast because I was having her so quickly and them saying all these things, shouting at me, and they sounded like an echo far away. And I thought, I would be having so much fun if they weren't here. And they have to be here so next time I'm not coming here so I can have fun in my birth. And so I did with my next baby. And then I had that baby, you know, at home. And the father of my children caught that baby. And I thought, I could have so much fun if I was doing this myself. So with my third baby, which is Calista, Gracie's friend, uh, I caught her myself. And I thought, oh, this is how you have a baby. You do it yourself. Wow. 
I love everything you just said. I'm so inspired by the, particularly how you speak about self-trust in women and also the, the, you're talking about your childhood and the, uh, I, I really hear abundance that you felt like you didn't know that you didn't have because you had so much and how okay. much we, our culture is in opposition to that now that we know how much we don't have. And so we, even though we have so much, we still live in this mentality of scarcity. And I think that scarcity does translate into the way that we relate to ourselves as women of like, well, I couldn't possibly know that. I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm not brave enough to do that. I, I don't want to get too big, so I'm going to listen to somebody else tell me what's, what's, what's wrong. And, and it feels like we don't have many places to really explore that, that primal, huge, abundant, totally connected part of ourselves. But childbirth does feel like, like a portal to that in some ways, and I'm feeling it so much in my own body, um, just as primal urges and feelings and hormones and it feels scary sometimes but it feels really really good too like I feel like I am feeling more like a woman than I've ever felt in my life so what is it that you have learned about yourself as a woman and other women through this instinctual process of childbirth because you've also traveled all around the world so you've met women of every culture or many cultures who have talked about childbirth and and what do you see as this like universal experience of of the feminine that that has come from your work um i think part of why uh, we have this spiritual retreat center where women gather um sometimes individually they come and have a a, a private retreat or we do village prenatals and, and there are many women and power stories. Um, but it's because it is immersed in nature. And that is, I think, the first step uh, back to instinctual knowing and self-knowing is being in nature. And by that, I mean not just a walk in the park, but unrushed, unscheduled, sitting in the creek, singing by the riverside, uh, walking, looking at herbs, making herbal compounds. I mean, birth is so powerful. and we, we have millions of years of power and instincts behind us to birth. So if we want women to rise up in the courtrooms, in the Senate, in the school boards, in the hospital administration boards, in agencies, and wherever we would like to see women rise up, if they can't rise up at birth, we've lost not only the sacred feminine, because all those other places we can see it everywhere we look, they rise up, but according to the patriarchal uh, lineage, they must somehow take on that um, uh, those skills and play the game that way. So if they rise up at birth, all of a sudden they have an access to a power that is uniquely feminine. Unique is so creative. It's so unpredictable. It's spiral. It's not linear. It's not rational. It's a knowing, a deep knowing. And so how do we get to that knowing or how do we lose it you have to take over their mind first. You have to make them think, stay in your forebrain, think about it. Uh, what do, you don't know the biology. I heard a, a woman one time who had had, I think, 10 babies or whatever, um, 
and I think it was maybe her sixth or seventh baby, the doctor said, but how do you know if your cervix is, um, you know, 10, 10 centimeters fully dilated so that you know when to push? And she said, I've had six babies and didn't even know I had a cervix. <laughs> so, so we don't have to think about things in a linear, rational way to know, to know what we know. We, it's visceral, our whole body. If something feels good, it feels good all over. It doesn't feel good in a quarter-sized diamond on our elbow. It feels good all over. If it feels bad or wrong, it feels bad all over. And our hormones that start pumping out adrenaline and saying, okay, deep breathe, let them go in one more time and check this and tell me that. And then the mind is worried, oh, my God, I'm still just seven or I'm still just four or whatever. And it's been this many hours and I'm supposed to progress. And it's all, it's in the wrong part of our knowing. Our, and, and doing all that, of course, either, um, what do I want to say, in a concrete building. It's not, it's not natural. Even if there's wallpaper on the, you know, and a cushion on the rocker, it, it lacks um, to do something instinctually. We must have access to the instinctual world. So that's what, um, that's what I've learned. That's what I build. If I'm in Moscow and we're in, you know, the 20th floor up in the center of some huge big city and I'm working with women who are wanting desperately to turn the tide from having been born cesarean themselves. Their mother was born cesarean. They're at risk for um, that new artificial womb that's being developed. Uh, what do we do? I'm like, let's take the elevator down, stand outside, and howl at the moon. We can do something. We can do something to mm -hmm. access our instinctual nature, and we do. And in incredibly so, there are, there's a higher percent percentage of all the people I'm encountering who birth closer to their instinctual self and instinctual knowing by getting unscheduled time in nature than by any other thing. That feels really concrete to me. Like, and I think about this conversation for people who are listening who are not mothers or don't have a desire to become mothers, maybe men who are listening. And, I, and, and what it comes to is that like, that's something that we can all do to connect to our feminine side is to spend more time in nature. And I was just reading this article about a man who um, lives and studies uh, mule deer and he spent like 12 years just hanging out with deer and walking among them and learning from them. And he's like, they're so wise. He's like, you don't even know all that's happening until you like – see it from the perspective of an animal and get in touch with that instinct. And we're so kind of like one dimensional because of that. And, but what, when you speak, what comes up for me is like, and what, what I'm feeling towards like moving towards my, my labor experience of birthing this child is fear. <laughs> it's like that. I feel mm -hmm. that the, the trust and that that's what has to happen is that, that the, the trust and I, I really have to see in the moment that that comes out. And, and I, then I think about people who maybe aren't birthing children, but they want to birth something in their lives. They want to start that business. They want to take a risk. They want to move back to the country, whatever it is, but fear starts to come up. And so what do you, what do you how, how do you help women in those moments when, when the fear is so strong that they're not going to be strong enough to be able to do 
to birth what they want to birth? Well, I think fear is a beautiful thing, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a part of the natural world. It's our core instinct. Fear is our core instinct. It trumps everything else. We can be afraid of many things, but, uh, or we can have many emotions, but fear will trump them. And, um, yeah, so it's to be deeply respected, especially if it's instinctual fear. So if there's a tiger up your ass, right, you need to run or do something. You do the thing that is the most intelligent, and you won't have to think about it because the old brain, which is wise and deeply knowing, is going to say, you know what, I'm going to take this one from here. You, you can think about it all you want, but right now we're in primal danger, and so I'll take it from here. And it's going to either hold still or run or whatever it's going to do that's going to be the wisest action. And so instinctual fear is great. And it, um, for me, with regard to birth, women who are uh, in touch with their instinct, they're like deer on the edge of a strip mall because our strip malls have covered the planet, so to speak. They're on the edge of a strip mall. And at that 11th hour and 59th minute, they have to leave one way or the other. Is it going to leap right into the traffic or is it going to leap deeper, you know, into the woods? And it's out of fear, one way or the other. It's out of fear that they're going to make their leap. And if they haven't had any access to nature, if they haven't had um, an elephant circle, we call it, that we create around them. Um, Elephants make a circle around their laboring um, female, and you cannot get in there, okay, if you're a predator. You can't get in. Mm. And they sway when she sways, and they moan when she moans, and she's not alone, even though nobody can do it for her. And we, we, so we need those kinds of things. We need to know what, if I leap into that woods, what, have I ever been there before? Have I been in nature? Have I trusted my instinct? Have I built my instinct? That's what I do with women all over the world. Is we build instinct. We don't. We don't need any more knowledge about the cervix and how it effaces and the station and how it descends and the, you know, cardinal moves of a fetus down through. We don't need that as long as we're not strapped down in a bed, because we're going to hike one leg or crawl or walk or run or move or stomp our foot or we're going to do whatever that gets the baby in its right position. And everything works when we have access to sound and movement and, and those are instinctual. They can't, they, but sometimes we need role modeling. And I, so we do a lot of all that. So fear, if, if the fear, so if we're afraid of the tiger because it's real, that's one kind of fear. If we're afraid of a tiger because someone said, I think a tiger might come, and the tiger looks like this, sounds like this, smells like this, I think that's a tiger, then we keep a level of adrenaline and fear going that's not real, and we can't do anything with it because it's not really there yet. So we waste, we, we maternally exhaust a mother with 
keeping her in her forebrain, keeping her worried, long before she ever has labor. You know, you can't go over 41 weeks. Your first-time mother and your mother went over, and your cycles are long, but you cannot go over. So we worry her. We, wor- we worry her and worry her. We worry her thin. Tell even when she's in labor now, she, what is her pattern is worry. Is everything okay? Instead of celebration and joy, let's go down by the creek and sing and dance because and, my back's kind of hurting and I'm thirsty. And, um, yeah, that's what I do. I, I do a lot of that with women so they have access to that. For example, your friend Callista, when she was in labor with her first daughter, she wanted to go hiking in the nearest, because she lived in San Diego, a thousand miles from her tribe. And so she would go to the state parks, because what else did she have? And so when she was in early labor, she wanted to go 40 miles from home to and climb the big old boulder way out. We couldn't even get to her. And her older sister said, Mother, what are we going to do if she goes, like, faster and we're 40 minutes from home and there she is out sitting on that boulder, breathing hard? And I said, I don't know, but she's a little wild animal. If we interrupt her, what are we going to do with that? She's doing this her way. It's our job to stay nearby all if she needs us, she'll let us know. What I, what I really hear in that, that that's so, so powerful to me is, is one, to not meet fear with fear. That fear is like this, it's going to be there and it's, it's a healthy thing to have fear, especially in such a big moment of transition and, and possibility. And that if we can meet it with, with this instinctual wisdom inside of us and, and what gives us that is the support, this elephant circle or, you know, you and you and your other daughter being there for Callista in that moment and kind of helping her to be like, yeah, we trust you, go for it. And we're here for you. And I, I, I just see it a lot in the women that I coach is that people are really afraid to, to change in their lives. They're afraid to let go of a pattern. They're afraid to like move forward in some way. And sometimes it is about becoming a mother. They're afraid to, to take that step. And when they, we get a circle together, so I do these coaching programs where we have a group of 20 women who, who go through this transformative process together, and it's like feeling the support of that circle and that everybody is there for them and everybody believes in them. It's like people can do amazing things with that, with that elephant circle. And so I, I love, I've never heard that elephants do that before, but I feel it so true just in the, the human work that I've been doing. So thank you for that, that image. And um, I'm curious when you speak, too, about the role of the masculine. And I say this because my partner is so excited for this birth, and he's reading so much, and he really wants to be there and helping and guiding. And um, and then I've also gotten really, like, in the Ayurvedic perspective, it's like this is a moment for women. Women need to be there for each other. So how have you seen the masculine play in this, in this deeply feminine space, or is there a space for that in your, in your opinion and experience? Well, um, I, I do want to just make one one more comment, and I'm actually I'm a storyteller, so I'd rather just tell stories, but because I think uh, stories are the facts, um, and they hold the wisdom. But 
the forebrain, which we are so in right now, can learn to trust the wisdom of the old brain. So it can learn to trust that. And when it has to trust it, it has to let go. So if we're pooping, you know, there's a, hopefully we've had a good diet, you know, hopefully we've got a measure of privacy, but it's the old brain that knows how to curl the spine, how to, how to poop, you know, it, it, it knows how to do that. And we, hopefully we, we squat or we learned, especially during pregnancy, to make sure that our knees are level with our hips or put a little, uh, if we use toilet stools, to put a little stool in front of the stool so that our feet can rest on it and our knees are above our hips and avoid varicosities. And all these things end up having very practical outcomes um, from an instinctual uh, place of being. So birth, and we're kind of talking about birth, though, though my commitment is, uh, really the inner life of women. And birth just happens to be one of the most powerful transformative um, moments for that. But, but anyway, the forebrain can learn to trust the wisdom of the old brain. And birth is a time when if things are going to go well, they're going to go best if the old brain is in, has got its time, has got... The, and nature, by its own design, Slowly, the early labor, you can have a conversation and maybe fix your beloved a snack or whatever. But as it deepens and you enter what they call transition, but the transition is not really six to nine thongmeters or six or seven to ten thongmeters. Transition is actually the movement from the forebrain into the old brain, where the old brain is is in control and no longer can you uh, compute language, fix dinner, uh, make decisions. The decisions that are being made are instinctual to move this way, to make this sound, to curl the spine, to arch the upper back. And it's only in birth and orgasm that the spine takes on a certain uh, position of the, of the lower lumbar spine curled under and the upper uh, cervical spine curled backwards. It's only in those two times that the spine takes its natural position in that way. And yet, who knows these Who teach? Who cares? Somebody's busy checking a cervix and station and who knows what all. That doesn't matter, ultimately. Um, sorry to, to fuss at my own profession, but... Um, Let's see, I, I got us off track because I wanted to mention some of some of those things and how the forebrain can learn to let go and trust that there's some a wisdom that's ancient and old and has gotten babies born that is alive in me. Mm. Not in the machine, not in somebody else out there. It's in me. I'm so glad you you mentioned all of this it, uh, because it's powerful to hear, and also just because it it's really like this stage of labor that you're talking about that got me, that I think really convinced me that I did want to become a mother. I, I was taking a doula class this summer, and I still wasn't sure the summer that I did want to become a mother. I was like, I'm 35 years old. I, I feel like this might have to happen soon if I want it to happen. My mom had gone through menopause early in her life. 
And I took a doula training because one of my friends was offering it. And she was like, just come sit in the back and it'll be good. And you'll, you'll use it with your coaching work. And I sat and we started to watch birthing videos and I had never seen birthing videos before. And I, and, you know, I saw that first stage of labor where people were talking and it seemed, you know, there was a lot of personality that was still left there. And then I saw the, 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 it change into this transitional state that you talk about this more, the second stage where it's more primal. And it was in that stage that I was like, I could just feel the, I could feel through these videos, like I cried, like the, the spiritual energy or the whatever it was felt so incredibly strong to me. And it was in watching those moments that there was something really deep and primal in me that said, yes, I, I want to become a mother. And then, you know, within three months without, without really trying, actually kind of by accident, I ended up being pregnant, and, which has been like such a great journey. So I just, I think there's such a power to that space. So when you speak about it being the, that's the time when the forebrain tr- tr- transitions to the ancestral brain, like I really felt that just from watching it. So thank you for Well, hey, that. congratulations on your power, Gracie, to just like open <laughs> Open the mind, open the heart, open the body, and have a little being say, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. That, that's already a huge instinctual beginning. Yes, that's totally. Awesome. So then there's, then there's the uh, transition kind of back to a, an altered state, but a warrior woman. And they look like a Now, not if they're tied down or and by tied down they don't have to tie us down anymore right that would sound kind of like a violation of human rights so they don't have to tie us down anymore they just drug us now so we have our epidurals and we can't move and we can't feel so they don't have to tie us down but we and and if we were smart women we would see what's happening but we don't we're too trusting of we're we're taught by sesame street to Trust the expert, somebody that knows. And that knowing is outside of us, and it's a false knowing. It's not true. But if she has access to that, then she goes through that, you know, out of this world, I'm going to die place to I didn't die. And that power starts moving down and through and out. And now she's a warrior woman. And instead of, like, needing your hand, she's like, get out of my way. I'm pushing this baby out, and I'm turning myself inside out. I'm bringing that which was hidden and mysterious and unseen, like a seed bursting up through the underworld. And you're like, oh, my God, right through concrete. Like, <laughs> you, it, unstoppable. And flowering in a way that is only recognizable as the sacred feminine. It's a power that is unique in all the world, possibly the universe, for all we know. So is there a place for the goddess, warrior, woman to do what must be done and have the eyes and presence of, of the observable masculine? Is that is it ideal? Is it preferable is it and or is it possible and if so what is the right role what is the right place well one it's not somebody who's pulling on the baby and pulling on the placenta because they're an OBGYN and have the papers that say they know how so that's not it if it's a beloved uh, do they know how to protect 
and defend sacred space. So if the predator was, now I'm not saying that women need men. They don't. From the dawn of time, men were nowhere around birth, nor in the mammal world are they usually. Like the elephant circle, those are not men around the women, the woman having her baby. It's women around the woman having her baby, knowing how to sway, knowing how to uh, moan in that way. Can a man listen to the videos and learn how to sway and moan? Absolutely. It's not the best use of them. The best use is for them to overcome their fear and their linear brain and their rational forebrain to trust the woman's knowing and to protect the space to make sure that the predator who are voices that say I don't think she can do it well 50-50 chance maybe uh, or it's too far or whatever those are the new predators right you know she really should be dilating at this uh, stage and she's plateaued you know she may not she just may be one of those failure to progress ladies. You know, and it's very hard for the male. They are not female, if they're not female. Now, obviously, there's a big continuum of what's female and male. But if we've got too much of that forebrain going on, then that's the easiest person to start to cave, right? It's hard for a beloved to watch someone that he loves so much work harder than she's ever worked in her life he can't do anything to help if they were chopping a cord of wood he could say oh honey take a break let me have that x he can't do anything he's got to be so strong in his confidence and belief and faith and knowing in the sacred feminine that it does this thing that he can't do, doesn't know how to do, and that that is in this woman that he loves so much. And can he get a drink of water? Can he make sure the, the space is safe? Can he protect? Can he, can he look into those eyes not with fear but confidence? Can he move out of the way so that when someone who has done it and knows that moment of, oh, my God, I can't do any more, I'm going to die, who can look into that face. And I'm sorry, I know I'm talking too long and too much and too whatever, but, for example, Callista. So she and Trace, who are well-connected, well-beloved, they, they get, I, I never checked her, but she was like probably seven centimeters or so, deep in transition, they were doing great, and all of a sudden that brick wall, right? And no longer did his loving eyes and his deep breath and didn't do it anymore because now she's entered a place that she can't get out of and he can't go to. And she's like, get my mama in here. Hmm. And so even though she was stomping her foot and pounding the wall, trying to get out of her skin, the tiger's inside, you know, it's not the time to talk about it. It's not the time to say, oh, honey, you can do it. It's the time to look in the eyes and start to breathe and sway hard like this. 
tigers together, eye to eye, forehead to forehead, and without talking, pretty soon all that energy is one together. And pretty soon it starts going down. The energy goes down. That baby starts coming down. And the cervix melts away. It doesn't matter what it was. It starts melting away because it doesn't even... It, no, nobody, nobody needs to check that because you're upright or you're moving or you're breathing. And so a, for a beloved to want for his, his beloved whatever it takes, whatever she needs, for him to not need to be the one, Oh my gosh! Every I just I feel everything you say so strongly. I think not on that logical level, but just in, in some like deep embodied level. And and the the power of what I, I think I'm hearing in there is that it this is a space where if a woman well, a woman has to be fully present for this baby to come out and like, but she becomes a woman. But if but if there's a man who can really support her, that he's going to become more of a man in this process too, which is not trying to fix or solve, but really being spacious and holding that space for like the strength of the feminine to come through, which I believe on a bigger societal level, that's what we need to shift consciousness right now is that, that men recognize the power of the feminine and protect that and give it space to come forward so it can heal. And, and, and it, it seems, it seems like that's, maybe what the job of a midwife is, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So is, is, a, is a midwife there because the, the instinct is really guiding the birth and, like, is the midwife there to hold space? And I ask this also in, in the question of being a, being a healing individual where I, I do healing work with people, and I just had a retreat this weekend where I was holding space for 20 women who were doing these really deep self-inquiry processes. And that question of how do how do we hold space effectively to let the the, the ultimate strength come forward is always always a, a really important question to me. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, with regard to birth, um, let's see. I, I do want to um, mention one more thing about the masculine. So the sacred masculine, we talk about the sacred feminine, and the sacred masculine, who knows what all that is and what it needs to be. It's not my, wasn't born that, good luck to them, they need to work on it, um, more power to them. But with relation to sacred feminine, then the sacred masculine is always, that I've observed in many cultures, is humbled in the presence of that. So we can philosophically talk about it. We can document it and, and get, you know, get it recorded somehow, either through voice or, or image. But to actually be in the presence of it when it's happening, so that's awesome, Gracie, that when you are watching the film, you, or even as we're talking today, that you're having a visceral response. You know, it's not just intellectual. It's in the body response and that is magnified thousands and thousands of times of course when when we're in the presence of of birthing and dying because it's so um it's so sacred and so the men that i've had the privilege of being with who who had the privilege of beholding this power and i don't mean with an epidural and tied down. That is, that is rape 
it's obstetric violence. We tolerate and put up with it. Um, and it is not the same thing. But in the presence of, of uh, instinctual birth, which can happen in many settings, not only home, of course, but they are brought to their knees, so to speak. It's humbling. Even if you thought you knew, as a man, I've, I've never seen a man not, not cry, not, not whose face doesn't grimace. And so at the moment of birth, the most important place, physical place for a man is behind the woman, and the reason for that is because once the baby emerges and she takes hold of that love-made flesh and she's touching it, looking at it, her actions actually elicit the first breath. And eye contact and eye gazing, it's not just skin to skin, those are critical exchanges that happen and affect lifetime, long-term, generationally long uh, health psychologically, physically, and if a woman, if anybody is in what I call the three-foot halo, if they are within three feet of her eyes or the baby's eyes, then those eyes will divert to that other person rather than being locked on each other, which biology intended for preservation of things that we cannot even name, thousands of things we can name and more thousands that we can't name. So if his body and head and face are behind her, he can still see or she can feel his support and embrace, but it's not distracting her baby or her from an irreplaceable moment. It's not, not, it can't be brought back. It's not possible. You, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. It's not possible. That first moment, which, which affects first breath, now, by that I mean not that the baby might not breathe, right? Most things live if they're alive. But it takes that first breath with ease, with looking into the eyes of your, what I smelled and felt all this time. Both beings are feeling this beyond words. They're still in their old brain with, with oxytocin levels higher than we can measure, Right? Because it's the shy hormone. We can't, if we start to measure it, 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 it drops. <laughs> it's higher than we can measure. But So I have a, a, a documentary of a recent birth where first-time mother, and her face is unbelievable. And right to her left, you can see the face of her beloved who's been with every breath with her. And his face is another world, right? Another world of of awe and oh my goddess oh my goddess and relief and she is a goddess of power of like I, I, I'll try to send you the picture crazy but two different worlds and they're meant to be two different worlds otherwise her love for him is going to try to comfort him honey it's okay we're alright we made it. Rather than, that can wait. She's going to say all those things later. He's going to say all those things later. They can wait. What can't wait is a bond that will alter the next breath and the next breath. And then the belief in external authority. It's like, no, I, I know my baby. 
better than anybody knows my baby. And no, you can't have my baby. They're like she bears, you know. They've got their arms wrapped about, around it. What, who can take, who can check the cervix of a tiger and who can take a bear cub out of the arms of a bear mama? It's not possible. And that's who we deserve to be. This is such a powerful conversation, and I could I have I have so many questions, of course. But in 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 wrapping things up here for the listening audience, I I since the focus of of this podcast is self care, and um, seems to me like part of part of this whole process of being empowered as a as a woman or a man or anyone does involve self care. I I'd be curious to hear what self-care means for you and in, in your life and how you how you practice that so you can keep bringing all this knowledge forward and helping empower so many people. Well, Gracie, I, I keep being one step behind you, and so I do want to just quickly mention that <clears throat> what is the role of midwifery? Why a midwife? Why a midwife present? Um, so that is a huge political, uh, personal, and are you still there? I'm still here. Yeah, I think it okay. tackled a little. Uh, question. Unfortunately, and we and it's a whole podcast. I'm sure of its own. Um, but you don't have to be in a birth room to be at a birth. I've helped women on the phone in Nicaragua, and I live in Missouri. Um, you don't have to be in a birth room to be at a birth. You don't have to be a. The definition of a midwife does not have to be someone credentialed and professional all over the world. A midwife was a wise woman. All women knew how to help another woman have a baby. It was unheard of that you wouldn't know how to help a woman have a baby. It's one of the most common. Almost everybody's going to do it. Um, Knowing how to hold sacred, sacred space, protect, sit quietly, be unrushed, Non, non-disturbing, undisturbing, non-interventive, uh, knowing that woman, being a part of her village, not knowing her chart, knowing her. Is she a shy lady? Is, has she had trauma during her pregnancy? Did she fall off a cliff? Were her Has she had miscarriage after miscarriage, but now she's carried this one this far? Does she bleed easy? When she cuts her finger, has she been walking with a limp all through her pregnancy because her hip's out and hurting? Who is she? We have to know one another. That's a midwife, someone who knows knows the woman and has seen birth so many thousands of times, has given birth herself and knows herbs, patience, action when it's necessary, and that's not something you can credential. We're credentialing the wrong things, and I've been a part of it. I've helped set it up, and I'm having to really rethink that right now. Um, so may, may birth be returned to the community, be returned to the village, be returned to all women where they aren't afraid if there's a disaster or a a traffic jam or a 
who knows what natural or man-made disaster and a woman's having a baby and all women know, yep, let's create some privacy. Let's make sure she's warm. Let's get a clean cloth. Does someone have some water? Like everybody knows what to do to help a woman have a baby. And then we start trusting nature. Nature didn't make as many mistakes as we're making. Not saying it always turns out just perfect. It, we can't always take that leap and forsake and sell all we have and join the poor and be happy. We can't go move out into the country and then discover, oh, I also need companionship and community, not just isolation and solitude. You know, we we still have to take the leap because it's the desire in the heart of the woman. And we're leaping in the right direction. And then all the other things that we need, they're going to they're gonna come. Yeah. The path will open. So self-care. Um, first of all, blessings on all my sisters. If you have a yoni and a womb, uh, then you can help a woman have birth. And if you don't, then you can protect the space for the women who do. And let's see, self-care. So I'll just give an example. Self-care is my favorite thing. It's the most important thing I do every single day of my life. Uh, I hold huge workshops about it myself. So yesterday, Mother's Day, my, one of my favorite days. So I woke up and I ate chickweed outside my door for breakfast, wild-crafted, just walked out and started gathering some greens that I could munch on like the deer do. And um, I did my yoga out in the sun, chanted all kinds of languages because I love language and I love people and I love culture. I'm a woodland mystic. Uh, I talk to my plants and my deers. We have a burial ground uh, that is our own. I went and worked on the burial ground. I garden in the nude. I felt the sun and the wind. I drank woodland tea that I had made out of my favorite cup that Callista made as a little potter. Um, if I put on a sacred cloth or adorn myself, it's from things around the world that have a story. Um, let's see, I created ceremony and ritual. I howled at the moon. Um, and that's not an unusual day for me. I like a little bit of everything in my day. I like to put in my day what I want in my life. Hmm. And I, 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 all of those just feel like such radical, beautiful, and so natural. Like you said, that place where the practical and the spiritual really come together, abundant forms of self-care. And, um, I, yeah, I guess that's usually my last question. I feel like I have one more question, though, and that's and that is to, like, Really, do you have any anything you want to say, I guess, like anything that feels unlocked to you? And also just like what are the words for this next generation coming forth to, to really pass on all this knowledge that you have? Um, walk barefoot on the earth. Find a living water, find a stream, a brook, living water, and walk barefoot. Uh, howl at the moon, build your instinct, trust your instinct. Um, and from there, as a fierce 
preserver of the sacred feminine, may your radiance shine and offer enthusiasm and love, self-love first, and love out to everyone, everyone that crosses your path. Either either uh, use your hind feet and your front teeth to protect yourself and those you love, or use your arms for an embrace. And instinctually, you'll know who's the predator and who's the uh, sister and soulster and kinster. Good morning, Star. How can how can people stay in touch with your your work and your wisdom and and find out more about about what you what you offer our world? Let's see. Um, so absolutely, I tell everybody everywhere I go. If you have a question or a need, you may call me day or night. Um, I have a landline five seven three three four eight. Six two eight eight. Um, I'm often not in the in my cottage in the woods where I would hear that phone ring because in the summer I'm in my garden gardening in the nude, and in the winter I'm out gathering my wood for my fire. Uh, but it's still there, and I'm off the grid, so um, I go to town about once a week to check email, and that is sister at sistermorningstar.com. Don't bother to ask me to join your Facebook or your professional links because I don't. Um, But you're welcome to email me with a question or to say, Sister, I would love to talk to you. Is there a way to arrange time? And then I do have a cell phone. Again, it doesn't reach down on the Holy Land, but when I go up to town, then I get those messages and it can receive text. Uh, or a phone call, and it is 573-434-2735. And you are so welcome anytime to reach out. Um, And then we do have a website, which I don't really look at that often, but people do, and it is sistermorningstar.com. And we have gatherings on the Holy Land. People come from all over the world. Um, it's about 150 acres of, of, and 52 gardens of herbs and wildness. Um, and I encourage everyone to build their own uh, instinctual community together all over the world. May the women gather. May they come running. May they let their hair fly in the breeze and grab their drum and grab the baby on the hip and, uh, and a dish to share and gather under the moon and build a fire and and share their wisdom and toss in what needs to be released and call forth what needs to be reclaimed. May we all do it. May we be a part of moving this universe forward together. Mm. Oh, it's it's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. And now I'm like I'm like I my one of my new life goals is I want to come out and visit the the Holy Land sometime and be part of that. So um, we'll probably have Tracy, to have baby Tracy, first. <laughs> yes, you must have your baby and have your lying in period where you just gaze at your little Hiawatha eyes. But, um, Gracie, thank you so much for I've heard you refer to how you work with the inner life of women and preserving sacred feminine and 
uh, helping people get in touch with their instinctual nature. So blessings on your holy work. Um, most importantly, have fun birthing your baby. Um, enjoy. Oh, I have a book called The Power of Women. You can find it on motherbabypress.com, I think, or midwiferytoday.com. It's called The Power of Women by Sister Morningstar. But what I love most is hearing people, people's power stories. So good luck to you and to everyone out there creating your power story and bringing forth the power of women. And kiss that baby once extra for me. Oh, I have one last thing. We have, I uh, have a Cherokee blessing that we give all newborn babies. And sometimes, um, one time I was speaking to a group of priests, uh, and they were older. One was 80. And he, and he said, Sister, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I was, I was born a, a, of German descent, and I'm pretty sure that I missed my Cherokee blessing at my birth. Is it possible to offer that to me in my 80s? And I said, well, I, I think I can, but I can't hold you up. Um, but what we do is we lift a, a baby up to the light of the moon or the sun or the stars in which she was born, and we say, in the presence of your angels and ancestors, uh, under the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars, may you live long enough to know why you were born. And that is my uh, blessing to you, Gracie, and your baby, and to all the people who might be listening. May you live long enough to know why you were born. Aho. Yeah, what a beautiful prayer. Thank you. I received that, and I feel the power of it. And and I hope everyone who's listening right now also, uh, even if you're not a mother or you don't want to become a mother or, you know, that, that this conversation, I think we all know women who are becoming mothers or are mothering and just to sit with the power of what that really is and to think about how we can support that as a culture because I think a, a lot of our, our power it can be tapped into through through this instinctual knowing, Sister Morningstar, so wonderfully shared and and then also to look at it is maybe in the bigger sphere of like whatever it is you want to birth in your life like there's going to be fear that that's sacred that, that we have to find our elephant circle that there's abundance and and just our living our life with consciousness and and really going into that ancestral instinctual brain and telling our stories to each other so thank you once again sister morningstar i hope you have a great rest of your day and i look forward to keeping in touch with you Blessed be, blessed do, Gracie. A kiss to your heart. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also, write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and remember, keep putting yourself first, and everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm.